What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and today we're going to get into my top 10 takeaways, lessons learned, observations, you know, just what I saw out there on the gridiron, on the football field this Sunday. Now, we're not going to waste any time. We're already running a tad bit late. It's all good, though. I'm home by myself with the pets upstairs. I've been you know, having to take so-and-so out to go to the bathroom, all that good stuff. But today we're going to, you know, get down to the nitty-gritty. Now, with all that being said, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, try to choose. I mean, I know I'm all right, so if you guys don't know how this works, we're going to hop in here. I'm going to list one by one my top 10 lessons learned, takeaways, whatever, from week six. It's going to be top 10 takeaways or top 10 lessons learned week seven, but this is from week six of the fantasy football season. And the first one we have up is Urban Meyer used his personnel correctly for once, and he won because of it. You just love to see it. The guy gave James Robinson his bell cow role that he has been deserving of. You know, he is out there out-touching Carlos Hyde 20-0 when, you know, the first three weeks of the season, Urban Meyer was hard on, you know, we're going to give Hyde his touches, get him involved in the running game. Now he's just letting James Robinson touch the ball, and that's how it's supposed to be. You give your best players the ball. He out-snapped Carlos Hyde 56-8, and then we move on to the wide receiver spot, and he fixed things there as well. Last week, so week five, he had Jamal Agnew and Tavon Austin out target LaVisca Chanel and Marvin Jones. That's egregious. Jamal Agnew and Tavon Austin shouldn't be focal points of, of your offense. Same thing, Dan Arnold out targeted Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chanel. That can't happen in the NFL. Like I said earlier, I think, or like I said last week, I think it was, you know, he was at Ohio State and Florida. And when you have this just stable of talent and stable of talent, you can, you know, you know, oh, Terry McLaurin will come in and replace Michael Thomas for a series or whatever. Paris Campbell will come in and replace Michael Thomas. It's not a big deal. But when you're in the NFL and you don't have, you know, a stable of five-star recruits to rotate to, you need to be more on top of things in terms of personnel. You know, have J.K. Dobbins spell Ezekiel Elliott. You don't have that luxury in the NFL. Now... This week, LaVisca Chanel and Marvin Jones, they led the team in snaps and in targets. And when your best players are on the field, touching the football, you know, being a focal point of the offense, good things tend to happen. And they ended up winning. I truly wonder why. He finally got the ball in his playmaker's hands. Now, LaVisca Chanel didn't have a great game, but it just comes down to getting your big players the ball in big time moments. Then we're going to go to takeaway number two which is that this week was a big W for zero RB, hero RB, just teams in general that avoided the RB dead zone, something that we've been preaching all offseason, something that me and you have been talking about if you've been here since then. Now, we don't root for injuries, but this week we got Darrell Williams, Khalil Herbert, Alex Collins, Chuba Hubbard, all top 24 plays. Khalil Herbert and Darrell Williams were top 10 plays in PPR. And that's the possibility. When you have four backup running backs on your teams, there is a possibility that four out of 12 of the teams in your league matched or outproduced your RB2 production from waivers, right? So that's like the whole idea we were talking about this offseason is that we don't really want those RB2s, the dead zone running backs in rounds three through six. So guys like Chris Carson, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, Miles Gaskin, Mike Davis, you know, even if those guys hit, like a Darrell Henderson, you can match their production 
off waivers, right? When Christian McCaffrey goes down, Chuba Hubbard is now amazing. He is now literally giving you top 10 to 24 production. He is now matching your production against another person's RB2. So you getting that RB2 isn't giving you a huge advantage over other teams in your league, right? Because say, you know, Allen Robinson goes down. Darnell Mooney is now all, not all of a sudden a top 10 play like Khalil Herbert was this this week, right? The, you, you can't just get random players off waivers at the wide receiver position because of injuries in front of them. You can just, random weeks happen at wide receiver. They're much less predictable. Now, like I said, obviously I missed out on Darrell Henderson, but I'll take that L because the whole idea was, is that it's not going to be foolproof. Not every single one of those RB2s is going to bust, but in those spots, we were grabbing upside wide receivers like Cup and DJ Moore and Deontay Johnson, Jamar Chase, Debo Samuel. Now, not all, now obviously not all of them are hits. You know, you have the Robert Woods, the Allen Robinson, but it's this overarching idea where in those rounds three through six, you take four dart throws on wide receivers. Now, obviously, if value comes to you, value comes to you. But you pass up on those RB2s because in the season, you're going to be able to string them together, right? Now we have JD McKissick, and then we have Dearness Johnson from the Chicago Bears lining up as good zero RB targets this week. And we kind of lose track of this in the offseason. But Darrell Williams, Khalil Herbert, Chuba Hubbard, all those guys, they won weeks this week. They won weeks, you know, some of them won weeks last week. They're going to give you great, you know, spots moving forward where maybe they'll have five, six week stretches. But at the end of the season, they're not going to make the top 24 running backs in points per game, right? And that's what is the problem. People look back. Like late running back isn't viable. You know, like like last year, if you had a guy, you know, Jarek McKinnon gave you a lot of good spot starts. Jeff Wilson from the 49ers at the back end, he had a lot of good spot starts. But when you look back, you're like, oh, they didn't finish in the top 24. How can you go late running back? Well, you can string these guys together off waivers and when it's, clear that their starters hurt you can get weeks out of them you're not going to get a season-long startup you can string them together for your rb2 spot and be pretty much fine now with that ideology in mind i just want to outline a big miss by me because leonard fournette was brutal this is our number three takeaway um the takeaway is leonard fournette was a brutal miss by me you know there was clear as day zero running back candidates and Leonard Fournette was one. He had an ADP of, you know, the ninth to 10th, 11th round, depending on where you were drafting. And I passed on him because I was too sure that he was going to be, you know, third in the pecking order. So I just want to take that L. I think I was operating with a little bit too much uncertainty in a role that has a lot of upside in terms of the Tampa Bay running backs. You know, any running back in a top five scoring offense behind that insane offensive line with like Tristan Wirfs and Ryan Jensen up front has massive upside so you just want to take swings on any of those guys and i was taking my cheap swing on giovanni bernard and my you know high high-end swing on ronald jones and i completely missed on leonard fournette in managed leagues i ended up with him in places in best ball but he is now averaging 18 touches per game 15 plus touches five out of six weeks shout out to alex caruso and it's pretty crazy what he's doing here he's he's getting a lot of touches. He's getting most of the touches on a high-scoring offense. And he's getting the valuable touches on a high-scoring offense. He's six in the NFL in targets, averaging five per game. He's six in the in the NFL in red zone carries, averaging four of those per game. He gets all the valuable work. He's literally like a top 15 running back that you essentially got for free. And I'm just hitting myself for not, you know, jumping on that. Which sucks. But, I mean, we still have like Zach Moss in places. And we're getting, you know, I have Khalil Herbert in places. I have Chuba Hubbard in places. I'm pretty much fine. It's not it's not burying me. I just wish it, it felt so 
looking at it now, it felt so obvious that he would eventually, that he at least had the upside to be a zero RB league winner. Then at number four, we have what I have titled as DeAndre Hopkins red flags. And D-Hop has been decent for fantasy this week or this year. He's the wide receiver 13 in PPR, but his usage has been really concerning. He had 20.5 PPR points today, but he only had a 14.3% target share on four targets. According to JJ Zacharyson, this is a really good uh, tweet by him. That's his 12th lowest single game target share of his career. And he was behind AJ Green and Christian Kirk in targets and tied with Rondell Moore. That's weird. A guy, you know, he now has 19.5% target share on the season. And we want these wide receivers that are target hogs because wide receivers are so volatile that we don't know what they're going to do every week. The only, you know, shred of, you know, consistency, you know, playability that we can get for wide receivers is just targets, right? If we can have the volume, it'll hit more often than not. And when you take a guy like DeAndre Hopkins that has had a 29 to 32% target share in each of the last three seasons, he's had it somewhere in between, you know, right around 30% target share to now bump him down to a 19.5% target share guy. That's a big, big step down. So the usage is really concerning there after after a big week. So just just monitor the D Hop situation because his targets need to go up for him to be you know a top you know five to eight, even just be a wide receiver one in fantasy. Which then brings us to a guy that is also not getting enough love, enough touches from his coaching staff, and it's Jonathan Taylor. My takeaway here is that Jonathan Taylor is so damn good, bro. Jonathan Taylor is so good. I don't understand how the Colts don't get him the ball more often. He is their best player. He is their best receiver. He is their best running back. He had three touches in the first half. He eventually turned 15 touches into 158 yards and two touchdowns. He had like 28 points on the day. It's insane. Like his his efficiency has been insane. And I just wish that they would give him the ball more. But the takeaway is that he's really, really good. He has the longest run on the season. He has the fourth longest reception, and he has the third most carries of 20-plus yards, yet he has only one more carry than Mark Ingram, which is insane. It's insanity. I don't understand how you don't get him the ball more. He makes plays every single game. He looks amazing. And don't tell me, I cannot send the people on Twitter that are like, oh, you're, you know more than NFL GMs. Like, clearly they're winning games just fine. They're, they're like, Jonathan Taylor doesn't need the ball more. Buddy, they're like 2-4. and four. The Colts are 2-4 and four in one of the easiest divisions in the NFL. The Titans have been not that great this year. The Jaguars and Houston Texans are bottom five to ten teams. The Colts have no excuse for being two and four. And they're this one team that I think if there was a if there was another team that made sense to, you know, do the Arthur Smith, you know, blueprint where you have the elite offensive line, you have subpar weapons on the outside. I mean, they had Corey Davis and AJ Brown, but for the sake of this um, you know, idea. It makes sense to make this a run-first offense like Arthur Smith did with Derrick Henry for those like two or three years before this year and just feed the beast, you know, give him 20-plus touches, run the ball up the gut, and, you know, really win on the back of your running back and good defense, which the Colts have a pretty good defense. They just won't, though. I mean, JT has 100-plus yards and a touchdown in each of his last three games, and he's not even getting a monster workload. I love him rest of season. I think if he gets any kind of volume increase, which we could see that with Marlon Mack getting traded, and we could see that if they just understand, you know, Jonathan Taylor, the more yards Jonathan Taylor has, the better chance we have to win. That could happen. Now, the next young running back we're going to talk about is Antonio Gibson for a different reason, though. I'm sad about Antonio Gibson. You know, the dream that I had in the offseason of, you know, Antonio Gibson being that CMC year two type breakout is over. He can't handle that kind of workload. 
and he can't cover ground the McKissick in the passing game with these injuries. He has some kind of shin injury going on. He was in and out of the game a million times. He's going to be probably missing time here. And when he comes back, he's a high-end RB2 at best until further notice. He's playing like 55% of the snaps. He's getting the between the tackle stuff. He's not getting the the passing down work. Like as you guys can see here, McKissick had 23 routes to Gibson's eight routes, 10 targets to his three. The passing down work is just is just rough. McKissick is going to be a great zero RB guy in the meantime. He'll probably be on our waiver wire video that comes out tomorrow. But yeah, I'm just I'm sad about Antonio Gibson. But our boy Rashad Bateman looked great yesterday, and I'm excited about his debut. He only ended up with four for 29, four catches for 29 yards, but the usage looked really good, which is important. He had the he was tied on the team. Tied for first on the team with a 24% target share, had a 27% target per route run, which is crazy. I want to say the highest for a rookie last year was Claypool with like 23%. That's not obviously going to be sustainable as he only played 67% of the pass plays, according to Dwayne McFarlane here. But he's out there commanding targets, which is big for his first game back from injury to come out there and command a 24% target share. Just a, a random stat. I think I think CeeDee Lamb yesterday, he had a monster day. I think he only had a 22% target share. So just saying, not, not saying that Rashad Bateman had a better day or anything like that. I'm just saying that he is getting some crazy, some crazy target share for a guy week six, his first game ever playing in the NFL. It was a weird game script too, where they were kind of like beating up on the Chargers, so they didn't pass the ball a ton. I mean, so four four catches for twenty nine yards isn't anything special, but the usage was there, which is huge moving forward for Rashad Bateman. And the usage is also there for this wide receiver, but it's like not in a good way. This is our takeaway number seven, and it's Robbie Anderson. I have Robbie in a few places, and he's absolutely buried me. He. You know, we had the concerns early in the season where he wasn't getting the volume. Terrace Marshall out-targeted him in the first game. You know, he wasn't getting any volume, and now he's getting it, and he's not producing. He saw 11 targets for 11 yards yesterday, and in his last three games, he has 28 targets. He has 29 targets, according to Adam Pfeiffer, and he has 10 catches, 87 yards, 0.75 yards per out run, which is really, really bad, and... It's just tough for Robbie Anderson. I don't know what it is. I just, uh, he's, you know, nothing better than like a wide receiver four moving forward. And Terrace Marshall got hurt early in this game, but I think that the door is pretty open for him to step up here once he gets healthy because Robbie Anderson is doing nothing with these targets. So that's a, a slight positive, but yeah, Robbie Anderson is like borderline dead at this point. Now that can, brings us to Ramondre Stevens' season. Ramondre Stevens' season as our ninth lesson learned and he saw a step in the right direction so he saw five carries for 23 yards and a touchdown on the ground he saw three catches for 39 yards through the air and last week he saw 11 carries now he has less carries but he has more passing down work which is big because we want to see him work in all phases because that'll give him more upside right so now he's working in the passing game he's working in the goal line he's working everywhere he's even mixing in on some first and second down work to, you know, kind of relieve Damian Harris as I think that he has some kind of rib injury. So it's just something to keep an eye on that Ramondre Stevenson is working in here, overtaking JJ Taylor, kind of has his foot up on Brandon Bolden. So if he can just, you know, solidify himself as that RB2 and, you know, kind of take over that James White role, mix it on the goal line and stuff, he could be fantasy relevant. And if Damian Harris was to go down, Ramondre Stevenson could be a monster because he could see Damian Harris's workload plus passing down work that like a James White would usually see. So he has a lot of upside. And I like him as a talent. I think he's a really good receiver. He had a huge 
a gain for like 20 yards on like a, a almost like a wheel route he looked good man Montre Stevenson has looked great since the, the preseason so I'm, I'm excited about him and our 10th you know observation is that Deshaun Watson's going to go for a haul this offseason now let me know how you feel about it but I think that we're going to talk about I might start talking about college a little bit more like as getting 10 takeaways from the NFL once we have like bye weeks mixing in and stuff it's going to be tough so I might you know take some observations from the college football slate in terms of like prospects but with Deshaun Watson there's a million teams that feel like they should be in the market for Deshaun Watson you know more than we thought in the offseason I think confidently I wrote this list down we can confidently say in terms of teams that should be interested for Deshaun Watson Broncos Panthers Dolphins Eagles so Broncos, Panthers, Dolphins, Tua hasn't looked great. Sam Darnold hasn't looked like the answer. Broncos, obviously, Teddy Bridgewater didn't look great. Then you have the Eagles. Now, I think Jalen Hurts is fine. He hasn't looked amazing in real life in terms of in real life football. I also don't know if they're even sold on Jalen Hurts because they were involved with the, you know, trade rumors initially. Then we have Washington, which, of course, Taylor Heineke, Ryan Fitzpatrick are not long-term answers. The Giants, I actually like the way that Daniel Jones has been playing, but he looked tough yesterday and they could, you know, just move on. Then we have the Saints, Steelers, who, you know, Drew, they got to find replacements for Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger in terms of like long-term franchise QBs. Deshaun could easily be that. The Lions, Jared Goff is not that guy. Falcons, Matt Ryan is pretty much the same boat as Saints and Steelers. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 teams all in the market for a QB. And it's not like last year where, you know, you had Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, five quarterbacks in the first round. Like I think only three times in NFL history has that happened but this quarterback is pr pretty much trash and I wouldn't call it you know like really really bad but there's three to five guys who go in the first round but none none seem to be you know that consensus 101 overall I think that we've kind of been spoiled recently where we've had you know Lawrence and Burrow and Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield so I think we've had a 101 at quarterback since like 2018 did we have one 2017 I don't know I don't think so I think Miles Garrett was 2017 but I think, that, I think that this could be a year where we have another, you know, Miles Garrett first overall, Jadavian Clowney first overall, where we have Thibodeau out of Oregon. I'm not, obviously I'm not a defensive guy, so I couldn't tell you that he is like some generational pass rusher, <clears throat> but he looks to be like that next Chase Young, Joey Bosa type prospect. And, you know, there's guys at the top like Matt Coral and Malik Willis in college. But I want to say Malik Willis threw like, I want to say like three picks against like UL Monroe, Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe or something like that. I could be completely wrong there. But, you know, Spencer Rattler was that consensus 101. He got overtaken by Caleb Williams. So now there's not really a consensus first overall guy. And even with Rattler, he was kind of like a hit or miss. Like none of these quarterbacks, I know like Sam Howell is there too, but none of these quarterbacks are even in that same tier as a Fields, Trevor Lawrence, even like a Trey Lancer, Zach Wilson. You would kind of need to see something big. I know a lot of people, a lot of people like Matt Coral. I like him too, but I think that Matt Coral and Malik Willis are the top of the class right now but they're probably like just from what i've been gauging from like mock drafts and hearing stuff on twitter they feel more like just like solid top five to ten guys so like when you're when you're dealing with quarterback prospects like that it's pretty much a mixed box so you're either dealing with like blake bortles and mitchell trubisky or you're dealing with like deshaun watson and patrick mahomes that are, aren't consensus one-on-one guys but even then you're still dealing with a draft class where you're not comfortable making those guys your franchise quarterbacks right so the Houston Texans kind of have some leverage here where if Deshaun can get his his lawsuits figured out go to the end of the season off season people find figure out on combine you know none of these quarterbacks are contentious one-on-ones none of them look that great there's going to be a lot of teams in the market for a quarterback so I think it makes sense for him to like if he has all of his stuff wiped clean he could go for a haul you know like three first round picks you also have like teams I would add in there is even like 
the Seahawks, you know, like they've had some weird stuff going on with Russell Wilson. You know, I'm not sure that it would make sense for the Texans to get Russell Wilson, but you know, maybe like a, a three-way deal where Russ goes somewhere, they send the picks to the Texans and then send some real players to the Seahawks. Now that's going to do it for us today, fellas, as always. I love you guys. I'm going to go make some lunch, grub that up, get going on the waiver wire video. Now, one more thing with that being said, never mind. I don't have anything else to say. Now, I love you guys. As always, I'll see you guys in the next one.